Praise God. I'm excited to jump into the word with you here this morning. We have two weeks left in our series that we've titled Momentum this week and then next week and then December. Come on, you know how we do at Walk Church. We, we devote the whole month of December to Christmas because it's just such a powerful time to lean into the birth of King Jesus who came to save the day. And I believe that we can learn much from that season and story. And so uh, grateful to be here today. And we're, we're leaning into the topic of momentum because I believe that we as a church have forward motion. That's the definition for this word momentum. It means to take you forward in such a way that it's felt. It's moving at a fast pace. There's momentum. There's mo- motion toward it. It's growth. It's going upward. And so we took the word momentum when we celebrated our birthday and we defined it with this definition, forward motion. And my prayer is that you as an individual, as well as our church, would be a place filled with people that have forward motion. Um, My prayer is that there'd never be a a time in the life of our church where we would say, you know what, we just don't got momentum. Here's why I, I say that, because I believe when the Holy Spirit's at work, he's moving us forward. He's doing something. There's, there's not a moment where you sense the Spirit of God is stagnant or is sleeping. I believe the Spirit of God is at work in a real way, and he wants us to experience momentum. And so there's three different aspects of momentum that I want to lead us in as a church this year. And we've been talking about these three, almost like a trailer for 2023, of things that we want to encounter, things that we want to explore, things that we want to grow in as a church. The first one, for those who are new to our church, we've spent some time talking about these, but in recap, uh, the first one is family momentum. Uh, We believe the church isn't like family. The church is family. And, And here's why that's important, because I think if we're not careful, we can just start to see those who are part of Walk Church as, as, man, you, you like my brother. You're not actually my brother. You're like my sister, which means I'm going to hold you a little bit at a distance, but we'll never actually be family. There's something that happens supernaturally when you become a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 says you're adopted into the family of God, where you move from, I'm just like family or a spiritual orphan, to now I have brothers and sisters. And I'm part of this church family. It's not an event that I go to. It's a family I belong to. In fact, Sunday is kind of a big family gathering, amen? And, and, and we are a generous family who doesn't want to just keep stuff to ourselves. We want to invite other people to know about what God is doing here in the, the life of our church family. Come on, there is room for more, amen? This, this family of believers um, has not reached its limit. In fact, I see a bunch of empty chairs here in the room, and I've never seen an empty chair become a family member. I think that chair is positioned for somebody in our city to come into a room like this and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that you can become family. Through faith in Christ, you can cross over from death to life and become family. And so that's what we've been talking about, how how to do that. I've used this phrase. I'll put it up here on the screen. Church is not an event you go to. Church is not a building you walked into. Church is a family you belong to. That that's what we've been leaning into. If you want to watch any of the family-specific sermons, uh, you can go to walkchurch.com, click on the sermon tab. They're all there. Also, if you want to join the Walk Church family, you can let us know that on a connection card and start on the first week of December. 
Today's we're wrapping up Join the Family Session 3. It's going on right now. But we're just going to run it back um, on the first week in December, and then we're going to go one, two, three from there. So we'd love for you to join the family here at Walk Church and get to know about what that means. Uh, The second point that we talked about when it comes to momentum is leadership momentum. Something that God has birthed in my heart for this season is just a new passion for leadership development. And here's the phrase. I believe everybody in this church has leadership potential on their life. The youngest person in the room has potential to be a great leader. The oldest person in the room has potential to be a great leader. What we want to do is we want to try to help unlock leadership potential in your life. In fact, maybe help you even see new and fresh ways where you can be a leader in your home, at your school, at your job, on the court, in the octagon, whatever that may be. Wherever God has placed you, he's given you potential to lead. Leadership is influence, and we want you to use your influence for his glory and your joy. I I found that you'll be happier when you're leading and God's getting the glory. We define leadership with four words. We'll put them up here on the screen. L-E-A-D, lead. Leaders are learners. It's been so fresh to hear different people at my charge group or just our staff, different people around have been dropping that. Like, yo, leaders are learners. Here's what I'm reading because leaders are learners. Here's what God's teaching me. Yeah, I've been learning. I scheduled a meetup with this person. Why? Just to learn from them. Leaders don't know it all. Leaders are trying to learn it all. Leaders are learners. We can always continue to learn more from him, amen? Leaders are excellent. The reason why maybe somebody is picking up trash around you and throwing it away is because they're focused on excellence. I've been hearing all types of testimonies about different people in our church saying, hey, I had to get some stuff right in my life because it just wasn't excellent. And we're not excellent for excellence sake. We're excellent because God's worthy of our excellence. God's saying, hey, give me your best. Come on, don't just give me the average. Don't give me the leftovers. That's the difference between Cain and Abel. If you go back into the book of Genesis, you'll find these two brothers. And and one said, you know what? I'm going to give my best offering. I'm going to find the best things to present to the Lord. The other one was lazy. And lazy people hate being called out. And oftentimes because they're unaware. That's the A. Leaders are aware. They're self-aware. They're spirit aware. They, they recognize what's the spirit of God prompting me to do? What's the spirit of God doing around me? Leaders are sin aware. They don't want to get so close to the edge where the devil just has to tip you to get off. We're saying, hey, we don't want to be uh, casual with sin. No, we want to make war with sin because we know sin hates us. The, the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. So we got to be aware that's why 1 Peter chapter 5 says, be watchful, be alert, be sober-minded, knowing that the devil prowls around like a lion. He's a fake lion, looking for somebody to devour. I just want to encourage you, don't be that person that gets picked off by the enemy because you weren't aware. That's why we need each other, amen? We need to help each other. The only way that's going to happen is for you to be disciplined. So you can, you can say, I'm going to be a learner who's excellent and aware. I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> It takes discipline to get out of bed, amen? It takes discipline to take a step toward your potential. It takes discipline to say, you know what? It's not just gonna be my destiny in my mind. I'm gonna actually go make it happen. I had a brother come up to me right after the first service and he goes, you know what, man? These messages have been speaking to me. I walked into my office the other day. I looked at all the other people in my, my office 
And he said, I'm going to be in that office one day. And he's talking about, like, I'm, I'm growing. Yeah. And I just said, I said, brother, go do it. He goes, I got a beat up car right now, but one day I'm going to have a better car. I said, bro, step to it. Come on. It's going to require discipline. He goes, it's going to require faith. It's going to require growth. But look, look, don't just hope it'll happen. That's a wish. Make it happen. Amen. By faith in Jesus Christ's name, make it happen. (laughs) Leaders are learners, excellent, aware, discipline. So we spent a lot of time talking about leadership momentum. Next week is our lead class. If you want to go to that, it's happening after the 9 a.m. service. Uh, right here at Walk Church. We're going to talk about how to grow in your leadership. All right, if you got all that, say, I got it. Let me go ahead and take us into the third and final momentum component that I want our church to grow in in this next season. It is the phrase kingdom momentum. Those are the three. So let me say it one more time. Family momentum, don't just be a part of the church, be a part of the family. Don't just be an attender, be a leader. And seek first the kingdom. We want to experience momentum, forward motion on our kingdom initiatives, on our kingdom advancement. And here's why we have that conviction here at Walk Church. It comes from one verse. I quote it often. I hope we never get tired of hearing it. We always need to be reminded of it. It's Matthew 6, verse 33. It's a good verse to memorize. It's a good verse to say, let's go. I like that, Nick. Matthew 6, verse 33. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's eat. Father, we're ready to eat from your word. We're ready to learn from you today. That's our posture for those online and those in the room. God, teach us now. For those in the kids' ministry, Lord, teach them now. Lord, speak to everybody in this room and online. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Matthew 6, verse 33. Let's read it together. Ready, set, go. But seek first the kingdom of God. And in his righteousness, and these things, all these things will be added to you. I I got excited. I jumped ahead. My bad. I started here. I I lost my track. Come on, let's do it one more time. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I love that verse right there because Jesus is closing up the Sermon on the Mount. Well, he's kind of right there in the in the in the in the the mid to end parts, and he has this moment, it's a break moment, where he uses the word but, this transitional phrase. He says, but here's what I want you to seek first. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and guess what? He'll start taking care of everything else that you need. I think sometimes we start to to seek everything that we need, and what we do is we leave the kingdom. Or we just say, hey, kingdom, I know I'm supposed to seek you, The word seek means to search for eagerly. Um, And we say, I'm going to get back to the kingdom stuff later. I got to take care of my business. Jesus says, if you take care of his, he'll take care of yours. That's the kingdom mentality. Now, I've I've experienced that when I seek first God's kingdom in my life, holistically, not just on Sunday, but holistically on Monday and Tuesday and Saturday, whatever that may look like for you, God just begins to take care of the rest. I love what this pastor named Jeremy Treat says when he writes about the kingdom of God. Jeremy says it like this. He says, Jesus gave his followers many commands, but there was only one thing he said to seek first. I want to encourage you to to not get so tethered to a do 
statement or a command, I have to do this for God, but to even more so focus on what he called you to seek first. And I think sometimes when we talk about kingdom, there's a lot of different definitions, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different thoughts as what that, what that actually means. I want to talk a little bit more about um, kingdom first and, and why it's important. I love what the great preacher Jonathan Edwards once wrote about when he taught on the subject of the kingdom. He says, the seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. I want to just reiterate and reemphasize, why are we spending time talking about kingdom? Why are we focusing in on that type of momentum? Couldn't we have picked something else for momentum? I want to encourage you to seek first the kingdom of God. Edward says, that's the chief business of your life for the Christian. Now, don't don't mishear what he's saying. It doesn't say the, the seeking of good church attendance is the chief business of Christian life or the seeking of Las Vegas only is the chief business of the Christian or just focused on your own little bubble of comfort is the chief. That is not the chief business. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Can I just tell you that the kingdom of God is B-I-G. Does anybody know what that spells? Come on, what does that spell? Big. Come on, tell the person next to you, say big. big. If they're sleeping, wake them up with a big, right? Right? The seeking of the king, the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, is big. It's bigger than your neighborhood, but it's nothing less than your neighborhood. It's bigger than this city, but it's in this city. The kingdom of God is bigger than America. It's bigger than English. It's bigger than Samoan. It's bigger than the Philippines. It's bigger than Yugoslavia. It's, it's big. And I think so often we're just in our own little empire and we're like, God, it's all about me. And you should just be so focused on me. What's wild is God is focused on you and he wants you to be focused on his kingdom. That is the chief business of our lives. Kingdom of God just begins to invade all over the place. This is what Jesus brought forth when he stepped on earth. When he was born into this world 2,000 plus years ago, the first ever Christmas, the kingdom touched earth. And, and, and he continues to advance his kingdom through his body. And that's why I think it's important for us to have kingdom momentum. I want to give you three different definitions for kingdom and help you just have some idea, continue to clarify that thought. I was probably seven or eight years old in my Christian faith before I ever even thought about the kingdom of God. So the chief business, according to Edwards, of my life is what Jesus tells us to seek was not even on my radar. I was focused on praying. I was focused on Bible reading. I was focused on going to church and confessing sin and growing, and all those things are good. But if you just do all those things and miss the kingdom, you miss what Jesus taught you to seek. So I think all of those things are good. The spiritual disciplines of the Christian life are kingdom spiritual disciplines. But the kingdom of God is even bigger than those things. Let's talk about what the kingdom of God is. I want to give you a couple definitions. I love this one from Pastor Vance Pittman. He's a kingdom man. He's an awesome leader and um, our sending church, former pastor of Hope Church here in Las Vegas. Pastor Vance once said it like this. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. The kingdom is the big picture of what God is doing locally and globally. 
I love this definition because it says this idea, God in his sovereign activity in the world. What does that mean? That means that God is always at work, isn't he? God in his sovereignty. In other words, God in his foreknowledge. Do you know that God's already in tomorrow? God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-present, and he is sinless, and he is all-loving. He's filled with love. I, I say that because 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. He, he is love, right? And so this, this idea is that he's all over the place. He's sovereign, and he's, his activity is deep. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize God is more in control than I realize. Even in situations and circumstances that don't make sense. And why I want us to have kingdom momentum is because I want us to grow our awareness that the kingdom is is at work and on display and moving in ways you and I might not even be aware of. I had this moment this week. It was, it was Thursday, and I was planning on being back into Vegas on Thursday evening. I had spent a couple days in Indiana with a few other pastors and leaders around our country and our network, and I had a flight. I was supposed to fly into Denver, get there around 6, fly out to Vegas around 7, and I was on the move. I get there to Denver. I look at the little screen, and it says 7 o'clock, red, canceled. So I was like, hold on a second. Lord, something may be off. (laughs) And I go up to the desk, and the kind person at the Southwest desk said that this is canceled. And I said, well, when's the next flight? They said, well, it's 9 p.m., but it's completely sold out, so you're going to have to stay the night to catch the 5 a.m. And I was like, no! (laughs) Put me on the standby for the 9. So I stood by, and it was two people to get one standby spot. And the person was like, I'm standing next to this girl. She's like, oh, I really got to get there. I'm traveling to Vegas. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I'm going home. (laughs) And the lady goes, all right, one spot left, just us and this. Erica. And I'm like, come on. And she's like, yeah, see you later, dude. And I literally just, it was like a movie scene. I just, the person at the ticket, I said, don't even, don't, I don't want to hear it. Gave me a different boarding pass. So I went and got cozied up on one of those airport little couches. And I said, I don't know what God is doing, but I believe he's, I believe he must be doing something. Um, Nonetheless, I dozed off for a few hours. I caught the 5 a.m. flight. I'm like a zombie walking through the Las Vegas airport. I'm glad I made it back. It's 6 a.m. in Vegas, and I call for an Uber because uh, I don't have any friends that want to get early en- enough to pick me up. Now I'm just playing. <laughs> I should have asked. I didn't want to burden anybody. Um, and so I, I, I call this Uber. I get in this Uber, and I'm like, all right. We pull off. And the lady just begins to talk. And somehow the question comes up regarding what I do. I say, oh, I'm actually a pastor in the city. And she goes, <laughs> stares at me. I stare back. <laughs> and she goes, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this moment. And this, this lady, if, if you're here right now, thank you for coming back. And thank you for joining. She just began to just bear her soul in tears of the brokenness, the pain, her season in Vegas, the challenges she's walked through, the, 
The, is God, does God hear my prayers? Is he even close? And here you are, pastor. I need to pull over, pastor. Would you pray for me, right? I just, I just got a lot. And I'm just like, man, I don't even live that far from the airport. <laughs> we had a whole church moment in the car and invited her. I hope she comes here to church. And she said, I've been looking for a, a house. I've been praying about connection. I've been praying about growth. I know that God's got more for me, but sometimes I sit on the edge of my bed and think he's not listening. Here we are. And I had to think as I stepped into my house, I thought, is that why you didn't let me get on that standby? <laughs> is that why, God, you, you just said, I got a different plan for you? We had this powerful moment. Here, here's what I'm talking about. The kingdom of God is in that Uber. The kingdom of God is in the airport. The kingdom of God is all over the place. Are we aware of it? Are we seeking kingdom activity or are we just in our own little bubble that is all about me and less about him? Let me give you two more definitions. I, I thought it'd be right that we get a definition from Dr. Tony Evans, known as the, the kingdom man, as he's wrote on kingdom man, kingdom woman, kingdom kids, kingdom marriage, kingdom disciples. <laughs> he's got a lot of kingdom content and really good stuff. King, kingdom, Tony Evans says, Kingdom of God is the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. Here's what that means. As you seek first the kingdom, are you allowing Jesus? Hear me, hear me. Let me see your eyes. Let me see everybody's eyes. Don't miss this. Don't, don't tap out. Are you allowing Jesus to get his way in every area of life? That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. To seek first his kingdom is to say, Jesus, your will, your way in every area of my life. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. And here's his promise. He says, when you let me in and you let my will and my way pervade in every area of your life, not just compartmentalized, not just 90%, not just you can go in these rooms, but you have to stay out of this room, and you get every area access, Jesus. You got a full VIP access into every area of my life. That's when Jesus says, okay, this type of kingdom living, I'll add everything else to what you need. Let Jesus find out, oh, you need some of this and you need some of this. I'm gonna add that to my account. When you start to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, it's every area. It's all or nothing. And so today I would encourage you to invite him in. Can I ask you this? Is this not what Jesus taught us to pray for? Maybe you've heard of the Lord's prayer before. It's a powerful prayer. The disciples once came up to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to preach. Nope. Lord, teach us how to do signs and wonders. Nope. Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they realized the power behind Jesus' actions was his prayer life. And so they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus goes, all right, pray like this. Check it out. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to give some instruction on how to pray. He says, pray like this. Our Father. This is relational. Amen. He doesn't say, you're like a father. He says, our Father. In heaven, you're big. Hallowed be your name. In other words, glory, holy. We just sang that. Be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is kingdom? Kingdoms when the earth experiences a little bit of heaven. When the, the kingdom of God is near you, when your situation starts to feel a little bit more heaven-like.
Now, heaven is set apart all by itself. I don't want to try to attempt to describe what heaven will be like other than what we read in the accounts of Scripture, and it will be glorious. But Jesus taught us to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. What does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like when the earth looks more like heaven. The kingdom of God comes into a city, into a nation, into a world, and we start to see God's will done on earth. Kingdom living. Let me give you one more definition for the kingdom of God. I like this definition from Dallas Willard, who wrote extensively on the topic. He says, the kingdom of God is Jesus in action. Simply put, what is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is when Jesus is moving and shaking, and he's living and he's leading. What does Jesus want to do in your life? If you let him, that's kingdom. Because I think it's hard for us to fully grasp this idea because I think we live in this society where we have kind of a loose version of a president. We have governors and mayors and county officials, and all of that is fine, but we don't fully understand kingship. When you become a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you pass from death to life, you get what's called a new citizenship, where you're no longer citizens of this world, which is passing away, but now you have a new kingdom citizenship, which says your home is in eternity with Christ, in a new Jerusalem, in a new heaven, in a new earth, where the kingdom of God shall reign with his people. See, we're under a kingship. His name is Jesus. Are you submitted to the king is the question. Where he is the Lord, we don't understand lordship. We don't use that language. The Lord and king of our lives. It's Jesus in action. The kingdom of God is something that we pray. We just read that the the kingdom of God is something that we preach. If you notice that Jesus came preaching about the kingdom, we find this in Mark chapter 1. Uh, Right when Jesus started his ministry, Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, this is the first sermon Jesus ever preached. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, here goes the sermon. It's a one-sentence sermon. The time is fulfilled. That's a large statement. The kingdom of God is at hand. Big statement. Repent and believe in the gospel. Big statements there. Jesus preached the kingdom. And I want to even say the kingdom is not just a prayer. It's not just a preach. It's a person. Jesus steps on the scene. He says, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus brings the kingdom with him, doesn't he? But if Christ is in us, what does that make us? That makes us kingdom carriers, amen? If the kingdom arrives on the scene through Christ, well, Christ is in us. We're little, little Christ's where Jesus is working in us. Don't we say things like this? We're the hands and feet of Jesus. So when Jesus sends out the disciples, two by two, he sends them out in pairs, go together. And if somebody lets you in their home, pronounce the kingdom of God has come near you. That should be what we've said. That has been our approach to Schofield Middle School. That when we got the yes to meet here at this school, We said, all right, the kingdom has now drawn near to this school. What does this school look like when it comes into clash with the kingdom of God? 
Here's what it looks like. We didn't just plant a church here. We planted a garden here. Uh, we didn't just use the cafeteria here, but I remember when Principal Neff said, can you paint these pillars red, yellow, blue, and green? And we said, yes. And when she said, hey, can you guys start a food pantry here? Because we got a lot of homeless students. And we got a lot of families that don't have food. And we said, the kingdom is here. Yeah. So the answer is yes. We brought the kingdom here. We're not just showing up doing church services on Sunday. The kingdom of God is not a taker mentality. It's a giver mentality. We're not here to use the school to accomplish our agenda. We're here to bring the kingdom into this place. In fact, Jesus wants to bring the kingdom into our city. Let me even challenge you with a thought. If you're one of the people that tend to hate on Vegas, move. Why don't you be the change? If you, if you have an issue with the public school system in our city, change it. Make a difference where God has placed you. I hear so much clamoring and complaining and grieving about the city we live in. When we should be loving our city, bringing the kingdom into our city. What good could come from Nazareth? Jesus came from Nazareth. What good could come out of the city of Las Vegas? Oh, brother, sister, all types of kingdom activity. Can I just tell you, the nations are in our city. They're all over the place. I believe we live in the greatest city in the world. We shouldn't be afraid of our city. We should lean into our city. Now, sometimes our city glorifies things that it shouldn't, but with that said, shouldn't we be light in the darkness? Shouldn't the kingdom of God pervade into the streets of Las Vegas, into the neighborhoods that we live in and do life in? And let's be the change we want to see, amen? Yeah. I want to encourage you to see the city differently. Why? Because you're looking through a kingdom goggle. Saying, okay, I'm going to look through the kingdom lens. What could this city be? love what Jesus preaches in Matthew 4. I'll give you another verse here. Just this thought on proclaiming. He went throughout Galilee, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus didn't just preach the kingdom. He brought the kingdom and it resulted in healing. I believe the kingdom of God looks like people's lives being restored. When you start to put the kingdom first in your marriage, where Jesus gets his sovereign rule and way in your marriage, you begin to have a kingdom marriage. When you begin to bring the kingdom into your kids' lives, you begin to shape a kingdom family. When you bring the kingdom of God into your singleness, you're looking for somebody who has the kingdom of God with them. Not their own empire, not they're all about themselves, but are you a kingdom-focused person? Because if you don't have the kingdom, our values don't align. Because you're going to seek first me, I'm going to seek first the kingdom. Don't seek first me, seek first him. Can I just tell you one thing that Nina and I have said? We just celebrated 11 years. Come on. On the 18th, Friday, it was so good. We celebrated 11 years on Friday. One thing that Nina and I have consistently said is you're the greatest number two in my life. You'll always be the most amazing, gorgeous, sexiest, can I say that, beautifulest, number two in my life. Now, pridefully, that might hurt for a second. But I'm going to seek first the kingdom first. I'm going to seek first King Jesus. It's my first love. And King Jesus calls me to love my wife as he's loved me. Whoa. Right? And so 
As we seek first the kingdom, whenever we do marriage counseling, we always put Jesus at the center, not your marriage. If you seek first the kingdom, the marriage will fall in. If you seek first the kingdom, the finances will follow. But if you seek first your own bills, etc., you're not living kingdom first. You're living paycheck first. You're, you're living, hey, I'm, I, can do the, I can do this thing my way. I'll tell you what, your way won't be the way. Your way, you'll say, yeah, I'm going to check in my way for God's way because he's got it. He owns it. He's the king of the kingdom. I want to see people healed. I want to see afflictions be relieved because we carried the kingdom into every space. Ultimately, I want to just show us one more verse, and then I want us to hear some, some testimony of how kingdom activity is happening in our church. Matthew chapter 28 um, Jesus closes out the gospel of Matthew with these words. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now that is a staggering calling, amen? To make disciples of all nations, it's hard enough to make disciples of our neighborhood, amen? Right? People close their doors quick. It's tough, and I get it. But Jesus says, don't limit your activity to your neighborhood, Think about the nations. From every neighborhood to every nation, the kingdom of God is at work. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Something about this that I just want to highlight too. Our disciple-making journey leads to coming to know Jesus. A disciple is a believer and follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus. And the next step of discipleship is baptism. And the reason why I say that is because I, I do get questions about what is the correct ordering of baptism? Well, to me, I've never seen a place in the Bible where we see an infant, a baby, get baptized. What I do find is disciples coming to know Jesus and then declaring what God has done in their lives and saving them, now outward in the context of a church, declaring that through water baptism. The water symbolizes the grave. Coming up out of that symbolizes the new life. And so... We only baptize people who understand that because we want them to know what they're walking into. We want them to realize, okay, I'm a disciple now. I'm in the kingdom. I'm declaring that. So today I would say, if you've been baptized as a baby, from my theological understanding and our team, we'd say that is a baptism that was a cheap bath. It was a baptism that is not a biblical baptism. A biblical baptism, it says, all right, I'm gonna be a disciple. I'm gonna follow Jesus. My first step now is to be baptized. I want to encourage anybody to take that step. We've seen leaders, pastors get baptized. People who have taught baptism for a long time now said, I I actually wasn't baptized the right way. I'm ready to take that step. So there's no shame in that. There's no weirdness in that. It's actually just obedience. Obedience matters because we're called to teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So we don't just jump right into the teaching. We see a person come to know Jesus. We see a person get baptized, not as a, um, something to gain salvation, but as a result of salvation, people get baptized. And then we start to say, okay, now this is what it looks like to live a kingdom life. Teaching people to observe all the commandments of the king. Here's the good news. Somebody say good news. Good news. That Jesus, behold, says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. The, the good news, brothers and sisters, is this. Jesus promises to be with us while we do it. 
So today, I wonder if the, the, the disciples heard this. This is the last statement recorded in Matthew. This is it, book closed. I wonder if they were like, we're supposed to do what you've been doing with us and you're gonna ascend into heaven and we're supposed to go make disciples of all the nations? What if I'm comfortable in Galilee? What if I'm comfortable where I'm at? I don't wanna go outside and learn a new language or do something risky. And Jesus goes, dude, guys, I'm going with you. Amen? Amen. Look at the promise. I will be with you always. How long, Jesus? To the end. Until you're with me in eternity. The good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus saves us by his death, blood, resurrection, through our faith in him. He doesn't just save us, but he sustains us. Right? He walks with us. The reason why this is called the Great Commission is because it's a co-mission. Jesus is still accomplishing his mission with us. So Jesus goes, I'm not just sending you, hey, good luck, guys. Let me know how it goes in heaven. No, he goes, who do you think is going to empower you? Who do you think is going to give you the signs? Who do you think is going to give you the miracle? Who do you think is going to give you the faith? Who do you think is going to be with you when you're feeling low and dark? How am I going to do it? Well, we talk to God who's with us. So we're not just a witness. I love how my friend Dahadi Lewis says it. We're a witness. God is with us as we live out the great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching people how to do it. If you got all that, say, I got it. it. I want to do this right now in the the remainder of our time here today. I want to start broad. I want to go all the way to the nations because I believe the kingdom of God is advancing amongst the nations. I heard this statistic recently, it blew my mind, that more people in China are coming to know Jesus today than ever in the history of China. In a tough context, the kingdom of God is advancing in very real ways. God is a God of the nations. Write this quote down from John Stott because I think it's important if you're taking notes. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. So it may feel a little bit unnatural, uncomfortable to sing a worship song in Spanish or to sing a worship song in Samoan or to sing a worship song in Tagalog or whatever that may look like. You might be like, oh, I was, I was tapped in with the how great is our God until that moment. But can I just tell you, God understood it. Yeah. Yeah. And that millions of people are worshiping around the world in every tongue. And I love what Kinsey shared. Kinsey said, Revelation 5 teaches us that around the throne of God is every tribe and every tongue. So we're just, we're just warming up for heaven by trying out some languages. So if you feel uncomfortable, you're going to feel real uncomfortable in heaven. That praise party is about to be different. And it's going to be great. And Jesus is going to be present. Oh, man. We must have a global vision. Don't miss out that God is a global God. One more quote, Oswald J. Sanders, and we're going to move into a time of just hearing some testimonies about how God's at work. Um, He says it like this, any church not involved in the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. (laughs) I I remember reading that thinking, can we still be a church? You know, we're, we're, we're in this thing. So we're not just Sunday focused only. Oh, we love Sunday, but we believe Sunday is a training and a family gathering and a pump-up moment to get back on the mission. We're in the mission in our neighborhood. You know, I, I, I saw a young man who was 
walking down the street the other day, just, I've been seeing him, he just moved into our city, he's in seventh grade, and I just, I've been just driving past him as he's been walking or playing sports, and I just thought, what am I doing? I need to invite this guy to our youth ministry. Am I on mission in my neighborhood or not? So I went over to him, I said, hey, what's your name? He started sharing with me about his story, how he moved here. You know, it's uncomfortable to do that, even for me. But he goes, what is a youth ministry? And I realized, oh, the kingdom is here. Right now, kingdom moment. Let's lean into it. Who knows what God will do? Never know what God's sovereign activity resulted in. How about this? I recently saw this on Twitter. They found Billy Graham's connection card. Billy Graham walked into a small church and sat in the back many years ago and filled out a little connection card. First time guest. Nobody knew who he was. Not a believer. Just here. I wandered in. Somebody teach me. You never know who's in the row with you right now. The kingdom of God is here. 